Assalamu alaikum. You are listening to Momming Well Muslim, a podcast designed with the Muslim American parent in mind, addressing how to raise Muslim American kids born into a post 9 11 world. We will cover topics ranging from potty training to politics, and no topic is off limits. Along with our expert guests, we'll discuss what's new in the Muslim American diaspora or just what's new at our own kitchen tables. Join us, Zeba Hassan, Nuzma Jafri, who have a combined eight kids and 25 years of parenting experience, as well as just enough crazy between them while they pioneer this journey we call Momming Wall Muslim. Assalamualaikum, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Momming Wall Muslim podcast with your co-hosts, Zeba Hassan and Osma Jafri. This is Osma. Assalamualaikum, everyone. We are super excited to introduce to you today our guest speaker, who is Noor Zibdeh. Um, she's got a master's RDN and is a functional and integrative dietitian and nutritionist, author, and a speaker. She specializes in nutrition therapy and coaching for digestive conditions, thyroid and hormone imbalances, autoimmune diseases, food sensitivities, chronic fatigue, migraines, headaches, fibromyalgia, chronic pain, skin problems, and everything that comes with... Um, personhood and oftentimes motherhood. Uh, Noor is the author of the Complete Acid Reflux Diet Plan and e- that includes easy meal plans and recipes to heal um, GERD um, and the Detox Way which provides everyday recipes to feel energized, focused and physically and mentally empowered which is something all of us need um, and that's going to include more than 100 real food uh, detox recipes. At home Noor is a wife and mom of three boys so that's why she is close to Zeba in my heart. Um, and she enjoys cooking, hiking, spending time outdoors, music, dancing, and now uh, coming on to a podcast to help us learn more about anti-inflammatory diets. So welcome, Noor. Assalamu alaikum. This is Noor. Thanks for having me. So let me first off by start, start off by saying, Noor, I'm probably your target demographic, right? Like I am five weeks in to my illness. I'm not even going <laughs> to pretend like that I'm not. I take care of my kids first and take care of my, I don't even have me on the list. Not right now. So why don't you start off and say why somebody like myself should participate in your program? Well, so here's, here's the thing is that women in general, and especially moms, we tend to put everyone else before we even think of ourselves. And, you know, that might be okay short term. Um, maybe okay if you have like a newborn and you have to get up at night and, and nurse or feed and change diapers. But the problem is we the problem is we get used to this and everyone around us, they get used to us putting everyone else first. And then at some point we just forget, like you just said, like I forget to put me like um, on, on my to-do list or um, and then over time we know that women are at an increased risk of several um, health conditions more than men. And with us not taking care of ourselves and, you know, not putting ourselves first in some, sometimes like some, you definitely have to like consider everything in your life. But when we don't create that time for ourselves um, and the mindset, then we end up um, getting health conditions and, and diseases later in life. And it becomes a very late wake up uh, call. That's really interesting. And, and I'm, I'm seeing that 75% of Americans currently that have autoimmune diseases are actually women. And why do you think that that's such a high percentage? Like, is it because we don't naturally take care of ourselves? 
I mean, with autoimmune diseases, there are there is not like a single thing that triggers autoimmune diseases. We know that there is a big connection between the gut and autoimmunity, and um, and and then there's a connection between the gut and stress. And we know that women tend to be more stressed than men. There are a lot of statistics and studies on that. Um, women report more stress, physical, emotional. Uh, we go through childbirth and labor and, you know, late periods, uh, hormonal fluctuations. No, there may be, there may be a genetic uh, predisposition because it, with any medical condition, there's a, genes to contribute, but also lifestyle is a big factor so when you put the demands of everything that we have to do and you know interestingly working women tend to be the yes. highest stressed uh category of everyone um so if you are a woman trying to manage your job or and your family and you know so your social life and everything um then that could be a, a big contributor to autoimmune conditions okay so disclaimer um i'm working mom Zeba's a working mom um, but despite that and what you've said, Noor, um, about the added stress, nobody being more stressed than a working mom, I, I do want to provide the disclaimer that um, stay-at-home moms, uh, the majority of uh, moms that I know do stay at home, um, but it really triggers me when they say, I don't know why I'm so stressed. It couldn't be stress for me because I'm just a mom. Like, what source of stress do I have? And it drives me crazy. Would you mind speaking a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, and I said working women because that's what based on like one of the um, like the studies and statistics. I mean, when you when you work outside the house, then you have more people to deal with, more problems to deal with. Um, and so that is definitely added stress. But it's just funny, like the word just, I am just a, um, that word is, you know, we as human beings, and especially women, we kind of tend to belittle ourselves a lot. I do my best to not use that word uh, because uh, we are worthy, we are important, we are significant, we are not replaceable. So our health needs to be important to us because without our health, we really can't do what we need to do for our families. I mean, if you get sick, if one mom gets sick, I feel like the house falls apart. Yeah, you should see my kitchen right now. I'm like, I cannot quite make it all happen. I totally agree with that. And I agree. And I think we should we should mark it down here as something that our listeners should should do right now is to take just a out of our vocabulary because we as women, right yeah, we as women wear so many different hats. We have a thousand balls in the air. You throw snow days at it, different types of kids um, schedules. You know, we're not just a, we're literally the CEO of our family and we have to literally think of it and, and treat it as such. Yeah. And stress is so relative. So it doesn't really matter if you're working or stay at home. Work is work. So you know, staying at home is also a job. Real quick, I'm interested to learn why your work is more autoimmune, anti-inflammatory centered, given that the number one killer in the United States is still heart disease for both men and women, and we face a global pandemic of diabetes in the next 10 years. So why is there such a shift now in um, nutrition and the GI world toward autoimmunity? When you say like autoimmune disease, like maybe I'm biased because that's the majority of the people I work with, um, digestive issues and, and autoimmune. But, you know, people don't, I don't know if they realize that once you have an, one autoimmune condition, you are at risk for developing another. And, you know, some people, like, they may manage their autoimmune condition with 
um, you know, with medication and, and they think that it's, you know, that's it, they're done. But we know medications come with side effects. And I'll just give you an example of like autoimmune conditions. Some people are on steroid medications that are going to um, cause, um, lead to osteoporosis. And women are at risk for osteoporosis. And so just putting that on the back burner and not paying attention to the potential risk, long-term effects of an autoimmune condition, because we may think that it's manageable and we're not in severe pain and we're going to prioritize everyone and everything. Um, definitely a heart attack will, will motivate people to uh, take extreme measures to change their lifestyle. But also I think the subtle stuff that women ignore uh, because they delay it because they're going to pay attention to it later when the kids are older, uh, when the kids are all in school. So these are just um, to, to point out that don't wait. Don't wait. So you just mentioned you just mentioned some subtle some subtle things that we should be looking for. What are some of these things that we should be looking for? Yeah, I mean, so here's my thing is like, for example, chronic fatigue, um, chronic chronic pain. Um, yes, we are tired. It's, it is everything is just so quick and fast and we're overbooked schedules. But I remember working with a mom, she has a six month old and a two year old. And she she felt like she couldn't go up the stairs. She was very weak, brain fog was having headaches. It, it took her few months to see a doctor and it took them few months to diagnose uh, her with Hashimoto's. And she might, she might, and that's an autoimmune disease where the body starts to attack your thyroid gland. And the thyroid gland produces hormones that are going to light up every single cell of your body. So some people think, oh, uh, you know, the side effect is um, weight gain and, and difficulty losing weight, but also side effects of hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's could be, or symptoms can be like constipation, brain fog, fatigue, feeling cold all the time, um, so and other symptoms. So we may think that these are, oh, these are just postpartum. You're just postpartum. Right. Um, you know, and, and, and definitely like a lot of women have... Um, uh, you know, mood changes and, and depression. And we just label, like we blame the, the pregnancy, but we are not giving women and ourselves and our friends and our sisters um, help and support. So whether it's like nutrition, whether it's getting the proper diagnosis or the doctors listening to you and thinking beyond, like, could it be something else beyond postpartum? Um, so that's just kind of one example. I'm actually was one of those people that it took the doctor probably about a year to officially diagnose that I had hypothyroidism because I had nodules actually growing on my thyroid. But it was always that it's you have four kids, you have this, you have like, there's a whole litany of other things that can kind of explain certain things away before we actually ended up diagnosing it with hypothyroid. I'm not Hashimoto's thankfully, but um, I have to go every six months to get my thyroid regulated. And, and my question to you, Noor, is because I have to admit something right now, I'm a Noor Zibday dropout, which was my bad. Um, and now she's re, re, totally re-motivating me just for those same reasons, right? Like the, the, op, the actually having to go and physically go and make it make an appointment to go and actually be able to take the time to be like, okay, I'm going to put an hour for myself every single week. Um, cause I do think diet is a great way of trying to help manage some of the underlying symptoms that are caused by some of these diseases. And, uh, I'm literally blathering on right now because she's re-motivating me, but how do you then 
talk to these parents that can explain some of these symptoms away, which I was, I, and I do do. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's fine. It's because I didn't sleep well last night or it's fine because I didn't do this last night. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually me. That's one of the, the most challenging things is like showing people and the women that I talk uh, with how the significance of um, sleep, the significance of lack of sleep, um, of the, the eating right, um, it, it's, it's definitely challenging. And um, for some women, we tend to like support. Uh, we tend to respond better when we're supported, whether it's working with a coach or a dietitian or a fit personal trainer, or even having a group of friends who are supporting us, and then also our spouses. Um, you know, one interesting thing is like men tend to be more active than women, and that has been like, you know, doing surveys. And, you know, maybe it's their nature, but men tend to need less support and encouragement. Once they decide to do something, they do it. Whereas we we find excuses sometimes to not do things. We prioritize others. So I think maybe one of the things is just surrounding yourself by people who think like you, who believe like you, um, because we tend to function better um, socially. We're more social creatures. Um, but, you know, I unfortunately, sometimes I feel like women, a lot of the moms that I work with, they reach rock bottom before they come and do things about their health. So, Noor, integrative medicine is like the next new wave, I feel like, um, in healthcare. Uh, it's one of the big ticket items that's discussed now um, in healthcare circles. So, why don't you tell us a little bit more about um, the integrative model of what you do? You know, when we do the integrative and nutrition, uh, integrative and functional medicine approach or the paradigm, is that we're trying to um, look at everything that affects a person. And so, um, you know, genetics, we cannot control that. Age, we cannot control, we cannot stop time. But when it comes to overall health and wellness, nutrition and diet is definitely in the core, is in the root. Um, but we also have lifestyle um, such as sleep and managing stress. And sometimes I, I so I'm, I'm, because that's what I do and I believe in it. So that's, of course, um, you know, what I focus on. Sometimes I feel like you may talk to someone and then um, she may not be able to control the stressors in her life or the fact that um, her kids, um, um, you know, schedules. But what she eats is something that she can have control of. So if we start with that then it becomes more like a trickle effect, like a domino effect. She changes the way she eats. She starts putting time in her meals and, um, you know, planning. And then she starts having more energy and less fatigue and less pain. She signs up to the gym, starts working out. And then uh, things improve. And she's like, oh, let me address my sleep or let me, uh, you know, restructure my life. So for some people, nutrition is a really great place to start for some people it's exercise uh, but definitely nutrition is is really important we eat multiple times a day you need the nutrients the vitamins the minerals the protein if every opportunity to eat it's an opportunity for success or it's an opportunity for hurting your body um, so that's how I view nutrition so what 
so let me tell you this. I, I, I go see an endocrinologist, obviously, every six months. And of course, I'm like, oh, I'm going to start working with a nutritionist. And I have to say, and Ozma can respond to the medical perspective, but literally my doctor rolled her eyes. And she was like, well, oh, don't be surprised that they're going to start pushing supplements. Don't. I have to say I was severely like chastised almost for wanting to go see somebody outside of the quote unquote medical field. Do you find that other doctors have this type of resistance? I was actually very surprised. Um, and I'm now looking for another doctor, FYI, because I was kind of like, it's not just about putting me on Synthroid or whatever medication that they're putting me on. Like, I feel like it should be more integrative and she definitely was not supportive. Do you find that you, you experienced that at all, Noor? And, and Ozma, can you talk about what the medical field perhaps says about this? Sure. Yes. I mean, I, un- unfortunately I do see this very frequently and very commonly. Um, I have few doctors who I send patients to, and then when I ask for labs, they order them without hesitation. So these are great doctors to work with. Um, but there are definitely doctors who roll their eyes. Um, and I even tell my patients, hey, you might go to your doctor and tell them that we're doing this. And if they're skeptical or if they discourage you, don't be discouraged. You know what you're doing and why you're doing it, and you're feeling better. So don't let that discourage you. And I, I, I unfortunately see like a, a, a wide range of things. Um, I see some doctors who tell their patients, oh, just read a book. Um, and I'm like, there are tons of books. If reading a book helped, then we wouldn't have an obesity and diabetes and, and epidemics of so many different diseases. Um, and I have a doctor who tells his patients, um, oh, eat a vegetarian diet and run for an hour every day. I don't know about you, but that does not sound like if, if you if I go tell you eat vegetarian and run an hour each day, I don't think you're going to listen to this advice. Uh, it's not going to work for everyone. Yeah, I definitely do not want to be running an hour a day. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> well, and I know because that doctor, I know it worked for him. That's his philosophy. But, you know, when I work with someone like you have to see what else they have going on in their life. What is their medical condition? I mean, somebody was with arthritis pain and you tell them to run an hour every day. They're just not they're just going to like leave that advice in, in that doctor's office as they walk out the door. They're not going to do anything about it. So unfortunately, I see that. Um, but we know that, I mean, here's when I feel like uh, nutrition, it does not replace, uh, you know, I never say, hey, don't see your primary, come see me. I mean, we should be working together, but unfortunately, that's not the case. For a lot of people, they may have the symptoms of a condition, but they did not cross the line where the condition is diagnosable or um um, you know, by the medical codes, and maybe Uzma, you can talk about this, like their TSH did not reach a point where they should prescribe a medication. But this is a perfect time for someone with early signs of thyroid uh, deficiency or, you know, imbalances, whichever it is, to focus on managing their blood sugar, because we know that blood sugar is connected to the thyroid, to make sure that they're eating high quality protein, to check their iron levels, especially women who are menstruating. A lot of us are running around anemic and we don't even know that. Um, and, and doctors don't always order the, uh, the storage form for um, iron. Um, you know, a great time to make sure that you're getting your nutrients, whether it's from food or from supplements. I definitely 100% believe in food, but I also know that when I've added supplements to, to the right person, the right dose, the right product, it definitely helps with their, uh, you know, prevention. So 
Um, so there are so much that we can do to prevent from um, being diagnosed from getting on a thyroxine or um, you know metformin for people with diabetes or a statin for people with high cholesterol. And, and that's the power, and that's where I feel like nutrition is really the most important. So what do you think about us? Like, you're in the medical field. Like, how, like are you surprised by hearing, um, like, what I said about my own doctor or what Noor is saying, the resistance that she gets from some doctors? So I totally understand your doctor's point of view as well as Noor's here. I was one of those doctors who rolled her eyes at um, non-medical um, sources for people's health care. Um, or health-related stuff, because to be honest, there's so much snake oil out there that I've seen actually medically injure people that I'm like, no way. And in many instances, I still do roll my eyes, um, but recently I've come to understand what a huge role diet plays in our lives, in our health, um, and that was just personally regarding me, regarding my body, on my journey um, towards health. Um, so while I'm 100% on board with Noor, looking at our food, its sources and effects on glycemic index, anti-inflammatory processes, uh, properties, for the most part, I still remain on the very distant sidelines, like top stands of the bleachers, in terms of over-the-counter supplements, because I just don't think there's enough scientific um, evidence-based research out there to validate them. There's a lot of reasons and biases why that exists, um, and a lot of it is political financial. I'm not going to get into that. Um, because it's outside the scope of this particular episode. But I find, as a physician, a lot of people want this magic pill for their funk or for their cramps or for gas or whatever. Um, And just in their minds, they think that this pill is going to fix whatever I need because we are a society that wants a fast fix for everything. And they're willing to spend their money and sometimes... um, uh, their, put their health on the line for these supplements that are not 100% safe. There is no standardized way to um, guarantee their safety. And I've seen so many kidney injuries on simple things like magnesium, which you can buy at any pharmacy you want to, confusion, delirium with too much copper or too much sodium supplements, you know, wasted dollars on vitamin E and dementia patients who are basically in vegetative states, but the families are like, oh no, it's stopping their dementia. It's like, no, it didn't work, you know, um, but it's natural, it's natural, it's natural, so it must be better. Well, marijuana is natural too, you know, a drug is a drug is a drug, whether you find it in the natural section or whether you find it behind the pharmacist counter, it's still a drug. Everything we put in our mouths and our bodies has side effects so if you're going to use any of these I think it needs to be under the supervision of a medical doctor and while I personally am not opposed to working with naturopaths or non-allopaths on a patient's team to achieve that particular patient's goal um, I think that team-based approach is really important I find that a lot of people are wanting to write off MDs and DOs because they think that there's some kind of like uh, competition or um combat between the naturopaths and the allopaths and it just doesn't exist we're willing to work together um but i am from texas so if it's a quack i'm gonna call it a quack or if you know you think it works you really got to prove it to me like if you want to take this and i find out from my pharmacist that that's going to interact with your cardiac medication well you're going to have to prove that this really is some amazing um cure for what what's ailing you Um, I don't think that it's true that um, we're at odds with each other. I think we can work together. And for the most part, the medical community is not averse to working in conjunction. And again, conjunction, collaboration, teamwork is going to be really, really important in this situation. 
So I'm with you on a lot of things. Um, one thing that I actually do, like when I go to my primary doctor, if I'm suspecting something, I will tell her that, you know what, I know my insurance may not pay for this, but can you order it anyways? Um, and, and because I want the information. So that's just one thing uh, that you may bring up to your doctor if you know, you know what you're, because unfortunately insurance um, doesn't, you know, it's not, we don't always have the best plans. And that's just my take is that they will limit, sometimes they will limit the doctor. You know, knowing what your plans are, what your coverage is. And if, you know, I tell my doctor, like if there's an additional copay, I am okay with it. Can you get the information that you need? Um, and because a lot of times doctors are, they, you don't want your patient coming back and unhappy because they had to pay extra out of pocket, but it's going to be different from one patient to another. So that's just, you know, my own personal um, experience. Now, um, you're absolutely right with what the patient is able to do and what the patient is willing to do. And that's why, like, one of the things that, like, annoys me from all the online um, forums and the websites and, hey, I did this, so everyone else should do it. It's not going to work for everyone. Everyone is different. And just because you followed a very restrictive diet that made you, you know, now lose all this weight and run a marathon, like, you know, some people put themselves on a pedestal and that makes other people, especially women, we, we tend to compare, uh, that makes other people feel really bad. Oh, this person was able to do this and I couldn't or, uh, you know, and so that's like one advice, like a lot of times people who are enthusiastic about the changes that they made, they want to share that, which is great. Absolutely do that because you'll motivate someone, but just be careful how you share that and also for other women to um, make sure that they're getting their advice from people who are knowledgeable from practitioners and I do 100% believe in combining um, you know western and um, alternative or eastern or whatever you want to call it like I never think anybody with active cancer should not take a medication for it like that is something you have to talk to your doctor um, oh, you I don't you think can't you can juice cancer away yeah like I, I don't think you can I don't know if you can juice your way out of cancer <laughs> and that's never an, an advice I would give to anyone or, or even like I definitely work with patients with Crohn's and colitis and you know some patients want to avoid a steroid um, you know therapy and I tell them you know what if your doctor thinks that your Crohn's is not severe is not that advanced that they're willing to wait um, and give diet and lifestyle a, a, a chance then let's go for it but if your doctor if you're bleeding and you're, you're you know your all your intestines are scarred um, you know, if, if they believe and you, you know, do your own research, make your own decision. Um, if you need to take that steroid short term to just, to just, to just like calm your body and then calm the flare and then Reset. let's work on diet and lifestyle and, and create that long-term, uh, prevention or lifestyle diet, you know, same thing with asthma. Like you may need a steroid so that you can breathe so that your airways don't, you know, close up. I'm not going to tell you don't take a steroid. Um, but then we can work on like, okay, what triggered that and what foods caused that? And maybe you have Absolutely. like a histamine issue that we need to modify your diet and add certain uh, things to, to whether it's a supplement or food. But I mean, just kind of like sometimes, you know, I, I, I am 100% believer in integrative and, and, and functional um, medicine approach. But I don't think, um, you know, there are certain times when we need 
uh, sometimes we need that antibiotic. And, you know, a, a, a sheet of paper like that you get from your doctor on your way out on what to eat, it's really not going to help. It's the day-to-day reminders and the tools and the tips that you get when you work with a nutritionist to figure that out and, and make it stick and make it easy in the lifestyle. There's so many fad diets out there. Like right now, I think what's um, gaining traction is the keto diet or in, in years past, it was the sugar-free, fat-free diet, or it was the Mediterranean diet, or it was the paleo diet. Do you feel that there's a... Or Atkins. Or Atkins, exactly. So as a nutritionist, obviously... Um, do you feel that there's any one that has more credibility with the current system, like the current your plate system, or do you feel like it really is personal to each individual person? Yes, I mean I am one hundred percent all about custom and well personalized personalized nutrition. So like there's personalized medicine. So, um, you know when when somebody like you know you don't have any health conditions, you're just you're trying to eat healthy. I my plate, and I when I talk about this in my uh, book, the the Detox Way Cookbook, is that half of your plate needs to be vegetables. You know, somebody came up with this ridiculous advice: don't eat anything white. Okay, I get that for like rice and, and bread, but, but what ca- about cauliflower? Exactly, cauliflower, mushroom. <laughs> I love garlic. cauliflower. Yeah, so so white <laughs> is not bad. It's just you know choose the right white. I actually used to give that advice before I learned recently. You know about proper nutrition yeah I mean so the white vegetables they also have their benefits so um, especially the cruciferous vegetables and for women and I kind of going on a tangent here uh, women to to help balance um, you know help your body with the hormones um, you need that cruciferous vegetable um, family you could get a supplement but you could just eat a cup of those veggies every day broccoli cauliflower cabbage I add purple cabbage to my salad all the time and it's just a little bit of lemon and apple cider vinegar. It just tastes really good. It is. Um, you can snack on those foods. Cauliflower now is like the biggest craze. You can make it into rice, into a pizza crust, into mashed cauliflower. And so there's so many ways. And that's like a really a group that I want women to pay attention to and try to eat a cup a day from this group. Um, so so and so that's the vegetable side. And I tell people like the other half of your plate needs to be a carbohydrate, whether it's rice or bread or um, beans or lentils or potato. Now, which type of carbohydrate is going to be different between one person and another? Somebody with digestive issues, they may not tolerate beans and lentils. Um, Somebody may feel better on a gluten-free diet. And I don't say everyone needs to avoid gluten, but there are certain people who remove it and they feel less bloating, less uh, fogginess less pain and I think if it makes you feel good do it it's not like a, someone policing you it's just you are making that choice that you feel better when you avoid certain foods and then the other um, quarter sort of is your healthy protein so that is my plate and I don't feel like everyone needs to eat dairy if you can tolerate dairy that's great if you cannot tolerate it that's fine most pediatricians don't recommend milk anymore it's the old schoolers who still do um, saying that human babies somehow are going to do better on another animal's milk. Like we're the only species who is told to drink another species milk. Every other species drinks its own milk. My my five-year-old, well, my five-year-old, because he had, um, he actually had his gallbladder removed when he was six Aww. months old, has never drank milk. Yeah, see, Literally he's never alive. drank milk. So he, and he's alive. And he's, and, and I think what had happened, like, and I think it's because whenever we go to the GI for him, which we have to go every year, they're essentially like, 
his body can't really digest it and they know to avoid things naturally, but he drinks, he eats yogurt and you know, we have coconut milk, like, which also has um, the amount of calcium in it as milk does. So he's never had a glass of milk in his entire life. And he's going to be six next month. Yeah. And subcontinental moms just, they cannot wrap their heads around that, that, oh my God, like if you don't drink milk, what's going to happen? Because I think it's such a luxury overseas, especially for those of us who come from impoverished backgrounds on the subcontinent that, you know, milk does the body good. And so I think it's, it's just beyond their comprehension to think that there are alternatives to cow's milk. So Um, I rely clinically on growth curves to determine whether a kid is growing appropriately, gaining weight appropriately, but what do you say to the overweight or normal curve kid whose back home mom or grandmom is saying, he doesn't eat anything, and how much should he be eating, how often should he be eating, because we find this overfeeding um, syndrome that happens in a lot of back home um, families at their kitchen tables. So as a physician, I know what I would tell them, but they often won't listen, and they just go by Pediasure to fatten this kid up, quote unquote. Um, alluding again back to uh, back home mentalities that we can't address right now, but what's your expert nutrition advice to moms of these particularly overfed or at risk for overfeeding kids? Well, that's that's a great question because I, I, I don't see, um, you know, children in, in my practice and um, I, I, I feel personally that feeding my kids is challenging enough for me, <laughs> so, let alone feed anybody else's kids. <laughs> and so I am going to let, I'm going to let other dietitians help other moms for that every single day. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, as a mom, I always get that question and I, and I definitely want to feed my kids. You know, I, I, I definitely think you need to have three meals and they're going to have a smaller stomachs and they will get hungry. So there are charts where like, um, you know, you need to feed your child every two to three hours and, and offer. And, um, you know, when they're infants into their toddler years, um, you know, preschoolers, um, I feel like also like naturally, once they start going to school, there's some sort of structure and routine. So they're going to eat breakfast before they go. There is um, recess or lunchtime and then they come home, let's just say 3 p.m. Um, you know, some families, you know, having their dinner at 3 or 3.30 may be the better idea because after that, kids get busy in sports and then there's not enough time to eat a meal. Maybe um, what works for that family is for the kids to have a snack and then everyone gets around the table at 6 p.m. when mom and dad are home and or like extended family or whichever that family, um, you know, members are and eating a family dinner together, which would be amazing and great if possible every night. So I would say as kids grow, like I'm thinking into my kids, like an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, they're definitely... Um, having less frequency, but you do want to provide something or offer something every three to four hours. Uh, Because longer than that, then they start getting hungry. And you know what happens when kids go hungry. They want to raid your pantry. They are less likely to grab nutritious stuff. Um, They're going to want the quick fixes. There is a website, um, the Division of Responsibility, um, or maybe, you know, I can share a link with that. And that's a lot of the um, dietitians who work with kids. And that philosophy and approach is that you as a parent, you make the choice of what 
when and where to offer the food. So you are the you you get the groceries. You are um, definitely as the kids grow up, you can involve them in the decision of what to make as a family. Uh, but in their younger years, you really right. the mom or the dad is the gatekeeper. What you bring from the grocery mm-hmm. store is what your kids will eat. So if you bring candy and processed foods and too much juice, they'll that's what they'll eat. So that's you decide what to eat. When is you create that structure for them? setting meal times and where to eat you can you know whether it's their counter or on the kitchen that doesn't matter it's like at home but you know some moms are always on the go so the where to eat is always in the car and so you you know as the parent we create the structure for healthy meals but then um the kid will decide if they're going to eat or not and how much. So you put out the vegetables, you put out the like healthy proteins, you, you, you make whatever that you want to do for the family, but you, right. you want to encourage them obviously to try a variety of foods, but you can't shove food down their throats. It does not work. You have those like back home moms who worry that a kid just missed a meal and it's like the end of the world. And then, you know, I try to reassure them it's okay. They will always make up their calories at the next meal or maybe two meals. Yeah, and it, and it becomes a power struggle. And then the kid needs, you know, it becomes like eat. Maybe some kids eat to please their parents. So they, they, they become people pleasers by eating. And they may end up with, um, you know, obesity and trouble controlling portions. Or they eat, they have to finish their plate. So they always get programmed that they have to uh, finish their plate. And all of us adults, a lot of us, we just eat when the food is done, not when we've had enough. Um, so sometime along the way, you know, and if you think of infants, when they're done eating, they're done eating. And adults, we tend to finish eating when the plate is finished. So something along the way got got screwed up. What are some go-to snacks that you would recommend for moms to kind of get through our day? Okay. So before I answer that question, I want to ask the moms who are looking for healthy snacks, did you have lunch? Because it seems like a lot of moms are looking for snacks because they did not put a time for themselves True. to sit down and eat lunch. Or breakfast. Um, especially a lot of if, exactly. Or breakfast. And yes, exactly. And so if you're running around, like driving people to sports and activities and play dates and, you know, whatever that you have to do and running your errands and you're looking for a snack, I think you need to look for a meal. Because snacks a lot of times tend to be like nibbles, like a little bit of crackers and a little bit of nuts here and um, maybe like a, a baked good with some coffee so like you're running on sugar and coffee all day long and instead I would like moms to sit down and scramble some eggs with some vegetables or maybe have a bowl of oatmeal and then add some chia seed and hemp seed and um, you know healthy fats and proteins to make that not super sugary and without adding too much sugar or maybe make yourself a salad and add some you know grilled chicken or you know left leftovers or just something or chickpeas so that you are having a savory on that super sugar loaded uh, snack so if you're looking for snacks all the time make sure that you've had a meal every you know three to four hours if you hadn't had something you know substantial to eat in the past four hours you shouldn't be looking for a snack you should be looking for a meal so you're pretty much saying like have many meals throughout the day 
don't snack necessarily. Well, not not necessarily. I I usually tell people like time, you know, three to four hours between your meals. So if you're gonna have breakfast at eight, you know, you send your kids to school and you have breakfast at eight, then lunch could be like twelve. You could have a snack at three and then dinner at six or seven. So I'm not. Uh, I'm actually because of I see a lot of people with digestive issues and that might get a little technical, but your digestive system needs time between meals to clean up the waste. Anything that didn't get absorbed and digested properly, any bacteria, any toxins in food. If you eat every hour, every two hours, you potentially are not giving your body the chance to do that cleaning motion. It's kind of like you're sweeping your kitchen floor and every time you try to clean it, somebody walks in and you have to redo it. So if we eat... we Like the story of every month. I was going to say daily occurrence every single day. Yeah, you, you try to clean one corner and then somebody steps on all the dirt and then you have to redo all of it. Same thing for your gut. If you don't give it a break, you know, at least two hours, then the, 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 the digestive, like you're from the stomach all the way to the intestine, they're trying to do that cleaning wave and every time you eat, you interrupt it. And that could lead to like bacterial overgrowth and other conditions. But I actually discourage constant eating because that also tends to elevate your insulin. So every time you eat, if it's a carbohydrate food, whether it's a fruit or yogurt or a donut, your body will produce insulin. And the more insulin you produce and the more it is in your system, it's going to prevent you from losing weight. It's going to make it harder to lose weight. And eventually that will lead to blood sugar issues in the future. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is kind of the, that insulin theory is the crux of what um, initiated my move into um, giving diet the focus of my attention um, and reversing my health uh, problems with that because it's it's insulin that that for me scientifically just made sense um, to focus on and to reduce in my body because um, there was a lot of inflammatory issues that I was experiencing and obviously um, with diabetes you know um, was able to reverse all of that just through diet nutrition and controlling my insulin levels and you know a lot of that happen because of the fallacy of eating all the time which isn't necessary for everybody and certainly shouldn't be the case for people who have family histories of diabetes or you know people like myself who gave birth to a 10 pound baby and probably had diabetes in my last pregnancy um so yeah the insulin theory i think is is really important so i'm really glad you mentioned that that those frequent meals are not for everyone there's this whole new movement to um also practice intermittent fasting so you know to see how much longer you can go without solid food and just be on liquids to um, decrease inflammation in the body. Yeah, and, and thanks for bringing the intermittent fasting. I actually am a big proponent, and that's I, I do that as well too. And, um, you know, so funny back in the days we when we were, you know, in school, like breakfast is the most important meal and everyone needs to eat breakfast. And for a lot of people, they need breakfast. I mean, for a lot of people. So here's like, I know I'm thinking like people are listening. If you're a new mom and you're nursing, please eat breakfast. You do need the calories. You do need that. Uh, but, you know, for if you don't, you know, some people like don't feel hungry in the morning and it actually really makes a life easier and they feel better you know listening to your body my kids wake up hungry so I'm gonna let them obviously eat I'm not gonna say no you gotta do intermittent fasting I'm not gonna say that for an eight-year-old but but you know what just like listening to your body so now like you know starting out I was like oh my god you gotta eat breakfast and now I'm like of course not if you don't feel like eating breakfast and I tell my patients you know what 
why not try intermittent fasting? And what's, uh, you know, try it. If it feels good, that's great. Let's do it. And, you know, you brought up keto and then you even asked me in the beginning, like keto, paleo, any of that. I'm very open. Like when somebody comes and wants to try something, I'm like, you know what? Let's try it and see how it goes. So, Nort, can you tell us a little bit more about um, your book, um, the new one that's coming out on detox? My book is called The The Detox Way. So it's not actually, um, I offer like a detox program for people who work with me individually because I feel like... um, when I use like medical, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't take the word detox very lightly. I know a lot of blogs and people are like detox, this detox, that you can even hurt yourself if you go on a five day, um, juice only or vegetable only. Cause your body needs a whole, uh, different variety of nutrients to help detox. Um, but, um, you know, your, your liver is going to detox and it's going to need certain nutrients to do that. I had lots of uh, recipes on my website, so I sat down and of course I added a lot more to them, but I created, uh, you, know, my, you know, I put them all together and I talk about a little bit about, um, you know, that plate that I mentioned earlier. And I tried to incorporate in the recipes the cruciferous vegetables, leafy greens, um, you know, the, the garlic, the onion, the aromatics that are going to be good for your, your, back, your gut flora and for your immune system, and healthy proteins as well, and healthy fats. So I created this, uh, you know, book because I wanted to answer people when they ask me, what should I eat? Now, so it's great for people who, if you don't have, you know, a medical condition where you have to... Uh, you know, follow a certain diet. The book is dairy-free and gluten-free, and I did that on purpose because a lot of my patients have digestive and autoimmune conditions, which, um, you know, they do feel better when they remove these two food ingredients. And I actually um, didn't incorporate any soy or corn. And, uh, you know, I'm not a big proponent of corn, but, you know, anybody, you know, if you want to add something, if you want to, you don't want to have that restriction, you can always add these foods. But I wanted to give a platform for people who need to remove these um, things from their diet, uh, that you can eat a healthy, flavorful, balanced, visually appealing, tasty meals. And I put those in my book. And so, you know, the word detox definitely captures people's attention, but I try to incorporate all the foods that will naturally support your body um, to detox. I I think um, people who are against detox, they say that, oh, your body detox is on its way, so you don't need to do anything to change that about it. And I'm like, well, yeah, your body detoxes if it has the raw material, the good healthy food. But if you're feeding your body junk all the time, it's going to be so much harder for your liver to detox. And it's got to detox a lot of things, including the acetaminophen that you're taking and all the other medications and, and whatever you is your food is exposed to. So we just have to support the body to do that. So where can we find your book, Noor? You can get it from Amazon. Um, on the first or second page, I do have a link for people to sign up to get a bonus. And in that bonus, um, I picked my favorite recipes and I put them in a seven-day meal plan. And I'll email you like a meal plan with a grocery shopping list and like so that you to speed up uh, the process. Like I don't want that book to sit on anyone's shelf. I want them to actually use the recipes. So that's why I created that bonus for that. So, um, you know, for anyone who gets the, the book, make sure that you sign up for that bonus right now. I am, um, you know, in this t- t- stage in my, um, practice and my career, I do focus on 
helping people with digestive disorders and autoimmune conditions. So IBS, Crohn's disease, colitis, um, autoimmunity. I'm very passionate about this because this is where a lot of prevention can happen and where if you ignore the warning signs, things get worse and worse and worse to the point where it affects your day-to-day activities. If anyone has this or knows someone who has this, um, you know, happy, you know, for them to reach out to me and I can um, share more about what I do. I definitely appreciate all of your insight, Noor. It's definitely re-motivating me to, to, to focus and think about taking care of myself. I may be reaching out to you and perhaps um, depending on when we can meet up, you can follow my journey on my blog post and Mommying While Muslim. Yeah, thank you for having me. I mean, I can share all the information uh, that I spend hours, but really it's like mo- the people being motivated to take that information and incorporate something. So like for everyone, for anyone listening, you know, we talked about a lot of things. What is the one thing I always tell them? What is the one thing that you can start doing today? that will make a a big impact on your life. You don't have to do 10 different things, just one thing, and that will have a domino effect and and you will see your life change little bit by bit. Um, So yeah, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. It It was really great chatting with you. So one change at a time is our takeaway for today and I definitely appreciate it, Noor. Yeah, absolutely. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzma on Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Assalamualaikum, everyone.